This podcast is produced and issued by Morningstar's Investment Management Group, which includes subsidiaries of Morningstar, Inc., who are authorized for the appropriate jurisdiction to provide advisory services. The content is intended for U.S. audiences and European professional investors only. Individuals featured in this podcast are employed by Morningstar, Inc. and its subsidiaries unless otherwise noted. Stay tuned for additional important disclosure information at the end of this episode. How should we be thinking about investment markets today? Are we in a recovery? Will markets test fresh lows in the coming weeks? Will this economic downturn be worse than that of the global financial crisis in 2008 and 09? Well, answers to those questions might live in a crystal ball, but even at that, they are short-term in nature. At Morningstar Investment Management, we consider ourselves to be long-term investors and believe that some things never change. This is simple, but not easy. I'm Drew Carter. Today, we continue our series of episodes based on recent webcasts we've held. Last week, we sought to help advisors prepare for annual meetings with clients by providing some thoughts on what key investing points advisors and investors should keep in mind at trying times. The webcast featured our president and global CIO, Daniel Needham, and head of decision sciences, Ryan Murphy, whom you may recognize as a frequent guest on this podcast. Our moderator was portfolio specialist, Carolyn Schaflick. I'll turn it over to Carolyn now. So let's start with Daniel. Daniel, what key messages would you be trying to get across in client review meetings right now? Thanks, Carolyn. Um, well, and, and, and welcome to everybody. Uh, thanks for joining us today. You know, it's obviously been a, a challenging period in markets in the first quarter of 2020. And, and so, you know, in this environment, uh, it's likely that client meetings will be different than the last few years. So uh, we think there's three main messages that can be helpful uh, to, uh, to, to, to use within client review meetings at the moment. Um, and so the first one is it's important to think about things from the perspective that falls in portfolio values don't equal losses for clients unless they sell their investments when they're down. The willingness to see portfolios move around a lot, we think is one of the reasons why investors are rewarded uh, for investing in equities over the long term. And investors that stick to their strategy, that is uh, rebalancing or even behaving in a counter-cyclical way by adding more when equities are down a lot, produce better results over the long term than medium-term trend followers. That is those that tend to sell after substantial falls and buy after substantial rallies. And selling at the bottom uh, is really a surefire way to lose money that you can't make back. Um, and so that uh, the, the, the first uh, image that I wanted to show gives you a sense of, of what that, that looks like, as we'll share the, uh, the image now. And um, what we can see here is it, it shows the, uh, the, the price path or the return path for a portfolio that is invested $100 in, uh, in 2000. And it can see what happened in the last... Uh, financial crisis, the Great Recession in 2009, if an investor sold out at the bottom uh, and then reinvested one year later. And so if you'd sold out at the bottom and stayed there, you'd have $65. If you sold out at the bottom and then reinvested a year later, you'd have about $203. Whereas if you'd stayed invested the whole time, you would have had over $300. And so this gives you a sense of the importance of staying invested during the market. Uh, environment. So it's important to remember portfolio falls are temporary moves that are only losses when investments are sold, when portfolios are sold out. Number two, for investors that think about markets in a long-term way, 
market volatility can actually present an investment opportunity rather than a risk. So for this, for this example, I, I think it's one way to, to think about it is imagine that you own a farm, you have a next door neighbor who also owns half the farm. So let's say you, you, you live next door to each other and, and you own 50% of the farm that, uh, that you both manage. Every day, um, the, 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 your, ne- your neighbor comes to you and offers you to either, offers to either buy half of the farm that you have or to sell you their half of the farm. So imagine that when crop, crop prices are full, let's say the price of corn is down a lot, you know, he's very depressed. He offers to, to sell you his half for pennies in the dollar. Uh, and sometimes crop prices are high, corn prices are through the roof. He's feeling great. And he offers to buy your half for really high multiples. When prices are low and people are selling, should that make you want to sell? Should your neighbor's depressed mood lead you to sell? Because we think those environments are the times when you, you should be buying rather than selling. A better time to sell would be when your neighbor's very optimistic and you get a much higher price for your farm. It's the same with investment markets. They're there to serve you, to allow you to buy when prices are low and to sell when prices are high. Markets are there to serve, not to guide you or instruct you. And so what we can see here is that if you look at the, this next image, this shows the performance of the uh, equity markets um, uh, and, and a, a, a multi-asset portfolio that's got 60% equities, 40% bonds. It shows the performance of that portfolio one month, six months, one year, three years, and five years after the event. So the 87 stock market crash, the savings and loans crisis in the late 80s. We've got the uh, dot-com crash, the September 11 terrorist terrorist attack, and also the uh, Great Recession, the banking and credit crisis. And what this image shows is that those periods of extreme falls, extreme market volatility, effectively preceded very high returns over three and five years generally. And so only the dot-com crash was one where it took longer to get back. But anybody that remembers that period knows just how how much equity markets were up leading into that period. So, So in general, Market volatility, substantial falls actually can present that investment opportunity rather than it being a risk. And so remember, market volatility is an investment opportunity for long-term investors. Now, the third point uh, is really critical, and, and, and Ryan's going to touch a bit on this later, but investments portfolio, so an investment strategy is designed to fund goals. And for most individuals, the underlying question that they have is, am I on track? Even if they don't say it, that's their underlying and a well-designed financial plan relies to some extent on investment returns, but how do you evaluate the investment portfolio? Benchmarks, performance benchmarks, peer group analysis can focus investor attention on the short term, which can ultimately destroy value if the investor switches from one strategy to the next. We think a better question is whether the financial plan itself is still appropriate for the goals and that the client has identified what they, what they want to achieve over the long term. Bringing the conversation back to the purpose of the plan can shift the conversation from short-term performance to achieving goals. Now, a well-designed financial plan is built for volatility and with redundancy in it, recognising that investment returns are uncertain over the short term. Highlighting that the investment strategy was built for this can be important and you know, really re- emphasising that things are on track. Sometimes things like bucketing or framing the stable parts of the portfolio to fund nearer-term spending can shift the focus away from the total portfolio falls so that they can get some certainty around the fixed income part of the portfolio. 
It's really a framing thing rather than an investment strategy, but that can help. So remember, we think investing success is measured not by beating the market, rather about being on track to achieve your goals. And we think, you know, really just to recap, focusing on these three points, you know, portfolio falls are temporary moves that are only losses when investments are sold. Market volatility is an investment opportunity for long-term investors. And investing success isn't measured by beating the market. It's measured by achieving your goals. So we think these three points can be, can be quite helpful during these more challenging times with, uh, with client, client meetings. Thanks, Daniel. During times like this, clients sometimes do let their emotions drive their investment decisions. So those are all great reminders. The past month or so has been an incredible time for markets. The S&P 500 just reached its lowest level versus 10-year treasury since 1983. U.S. crude oil is trading below $20 a barrel, near 18-year lows. Daniel, how might advisors explain the current market environment to clients? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good summary of uh, some of the uh, extreme things that we're seeing in this environment. Um, one, one sort of broader message I think that can be helpful in framing these, uh, this environment is to say that, you know, every decade or so, markets and the economy faces a recession, sometimes a very deep contraction. And these can be caused by a variety of things, whether it's central bank tightening, you know, ex excessive leverage that's built up in the financial system, you know, a policy mistake, um, or a, a sort of an exogenous shock, like a war, a natural disaster, or a pandemic. Now, we obviously, we understand that we're in a, a pandemic now. We, we, we never know when these things are going to happen, and they're not forecastable to any useful degree. But we do know that they're going to happen over time. Now, despite these events, you know, we've had, you know, horrific world wars, you know, flu, flu pandemics much worse than what we're experiencing now, extreme oil shocks, you know, uh, depressions around the world, panics. But despite this, investing in companies over decades has generated very good long-term returns. And equities, listed equity markets have outperformed bonds and cash by a very large margin over the last century. While the progress has been sound over the long term, it hasn't been a straight line. And these short-term disruptions can be, you know, as severe as they are unpredictable. However, you know, one thing to remember is that the fact that the line isn't straight and smooth is arguably one of the reasons why there, there are returns available for investors, that they're compensated for those fluctuations. Now, markets have experienced very bad things over the decades and recovered. We don't believe this is going to be any different. And the most important thing is to have an appropriate plan for the client reflecting their goals and specific circumstances, and then to stick to that plan through the short-term volatility. History suggests that that is the most sensible approach. Great. So weekly unemployment numbers came out this morning, another 5.2 million new claims, bringing the total number to over 20 million since the shutdown. Unfortunately, those numbers weren't a surprise, although I just read that the majority of those claims were classified as temporary, so perhaps a silver lining there. Most of us are under stay-at-home orders through at least the end of the month and possibly longer. So, Daniel, what do you think advisors should tell their clients who ask whether the worst of this COVID-19 crisis is behind us or whether we might hit fresh lows? Um. Look, I think all the points that you make are, are definitely uh, concerning and, you know, especially the, the uh, uh, unemployment insurance claims. Um, we simply don't know. Um, markets may have reached their low and the worst for stocks could well be behind us or, you know, we may test those lows or set new lows. And as certain as commentators seem on television or in the newspapers, no one knows. 
Now, history suggests that markets will likely test the lows, but this, this uh, uh, type of crisis we're facing is, is different in many ways. Look, it wouldn't surprise us at all if we, if we did test, those, uh, test the lows and set new lows, uh, but, but from a prediction perspective, we, we just don't know. Um, markets are forward-looking, and it's a very uncertain and, and, and there's a wide range of outcomes. Now, our strategies are positioned well if markets recover, while also having the ability to take advantage should markets fall further. I think it's really important to remember, no one knows the answer to that question. Um, our best to, to vent defense or, or, or approach here is to be prepared for further falls and to be ready to take advantage of them. Um, and I think that for some investors, they will be able to take advantage of those opportunities and that's the best place to be. Unfortunately, it's a, it's a terrible, terrible event that we're facing and, um, and, and it's likely that we could see some really, you know, uh, really terrible economic and health outcomes from here. But markets are forward-looking. And so um, sometimes when, when, the, 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 when it feels the worst to invest is often, you know, it can be the best time to invest. And so um, from our perspective, you know, we like to, to, to use the quote that Howard Marks has used quite a bit, which is from a, a famous uh, insurance company's tagline, which is, you can't predict, but you can prepare. And that to, to us is the most important thing. If, if markets hit new uh, fresh lows, then we're in a position to buy. If they don't and, and, and the worst is behind us, well, we'll be comfortable that we took the right amount of risk and took advantage of the, the volatility that was presented. Thanks, Daniel. Now, before I turn to Ryan, just another reminder to submit a question. Please do so by clicking the Q&A button near the bottom of the screen. Let's turn over to Ryan to talk about the psychology of gains and losses in decision-making. Many in our audience have heard about loss aversion. Can you tell us a bit about that and how it could impact decision-making? Sure. Thank you for that. And thank you to all of our listeners for being here. So this notion of loss aversion comes out of experimental economics and behavioral finance and work that's been conducted over the last couple of decades. And it's one of the most reliable findings we have. So I'm sure as you've noticed, your clients and people around you are not always perfectly rational, and it, but that's just not enough to be able to say. So from the behavioral sciences, we try and go a bit further. And what we find is that there's a structure to some of these irrationalities and loss aversion is one of the biggest that we see. So let me show you a very simple example that we use out of experimental economics to highlight what loss aversion looks like. Loss aversion is this very simple idea that people are hypersensitive to losses. So imagine I give you the following gamble. Option A, nothing happens. You don't gain anything, you don't lose anything. Option B, I flip a perfectly fair coin once, and if it comes up heads, you gain a certain amount of money. If it comes up tails, you lose $100, all right? So now what I would do is start to change the value of X to see where I might entice people to be interested in such a risky option. So imagine I offer you $95 at the gain. So when I've offered this before to advisors, this is a staggeringly unpopular opportunity. Almost nobody wants option B. And they explain, well, the expected value is negative, so it just doesn't make sense. I say, okay. So on the next slide, then I say, what if we increase that a little bit? What if we increase the gain amount, 105? At this point, people still are not all that interested. I say, what about a little bit more? So I keep increasing it, this win amount, keeping the loss amount the same. At 120, you might start to see some takers and keep increasing it more. What we find is that you have to increase the gain amount substantially relative to the loss before you find that most people are interested in taking such a risky option. In fact, the average is about 220 or so. 
And I think what this, what this particular really simple gamble is designed to highlight is that losses loom larger than gains. And the psychology here is that that loss of $100 feels as much as that gain of about 200 So all things being equal, losses are more painful than gains are pleasurable, even holding magnitudes constant. That's loss aversion. It's this psychological phenomenon where people are putting too much weight on losses. So this can really have a big effect when we start to think of this idea and how that might manifest of different investors. So let's imagine we have different investors and they're invested in different parts of the market. So on the next slide, you'll see that there are different portfolios that are set up here. Each one of these portfolios is just a simple S&P 500 index. The only difference is how often the person, the investor here, goes in to look at their performance. So on the next slide, what I've done here is highlighted the number of times a person would see a loss. It turns out if a person goes and looks at it daily, they're going to see a lot more losses than if they were looking at it less frequently. And this isn't some magic of asset allocation. This is how often they're going in to look. And so by time slicing it more narrowly, you're starting to see different things. And so you imagine the investor who's going in and checking the performance of her portfolio every day is going to see every up and every down. And remember, downs have more psychological weight for people than gains do. And so that's going to be a much bumpier ride. And we know because of loss aversion, people may be compelled to make bad decisions because of those losses they see. So another investor holding exactly the same portfolio, but this person's only going in to check at the end of the year, is going to see far less downs. So this person essentially can get a much smoother ride by checking less often, even though the underlying asset allocation, the portfolios across these two examples are exactly the same. So this, I think, is an example on the next slide that shows that ignorance really can be bliss. And one of the ways in which we can help endure market volatility is by checking less frequently. So for example, there's even an app that can come on a digital watch. I like my digital watch and it will tell me what the market is doing in the last five minutes. I don't have that app on it. I don't want to know. I think that that is the sort of thing that could give people uh, too much ammunition to maybe do bad things. And this is consistent with research. We, sh we see research that people who examine their portfolio's performance less often do better. They feel better about it. And they also do better because they're less tempted to go in and fiddle with their asset allocations and maybe make unwise trades for, you know, for some sort of emotional reasons. So this point was echoed. We had Daniel Kahneman visit us at Morningstar Investor Conference a couple of years ago, and he was talking about this idea and the impact that his work, uh, he won a Nobel Prize in this area, has had in the last decades. And he was talking about loss aversion. And he was talking about when investors see something bad happen, they may want to change direction, change advisors, change and go do something else. And this is the biggest danger to their financial health. So I, I mean, to answer the question, this is the psychology of loss aversion and how this can manifest itself in for, for clients and maybe even compel them to make unwise choices. And I think that one of the things that advisors can do is act as a buffer to help people not fall prey to this and stay invested for the long term. Thanks, Ryan. I just wanted to also let everyone know we've had a couple of questions about the slides. We will be sending those around after the webcast today. So given how most investment reviews are shown, our industry definitely hasn't made it easy for clients to focus on the long term and their progress towards reaching their financial goals. Ryan, you've also spoken in the past about changing a review meeting to more of a progress report. Given the recent drops in the market, do you have any suggestions for putting those into a longer term context? Yeah, so this is one thing we've been thinking about quite a bit. 
So one of the typical ways in which portfolio performance is shown is a balance sheet view. And it might look something like this. The next slide shows a person's portfolio. This is a hypothetical portfolio. And I did this on Morningstar.com. But lots of other digital platforms have a very similar representation of what a portfolio looks like. And there are a couple of features I want to highlight on this that I think may not actually help people. So at the very top there, the first numbers a person sees when they log in are what the market did. And this strikes me as an odd place to focus people's attention on what the market did. And if that's not bad enough, there's big bright red ink there to tell you what the market did in the last day. And so those return numbers that are highlighted there are focusing people's attention very much in the short term. We're a long-term investment shop and our views are about investing over the long haul. So it seems like this is an odd way to refocus people's attention. Also, when you look at the different constituent parts of the portfolio, it breaks the portfolio parts up and shows you their changes over time. Again, daily changes with lots of big, bright red ink. And knowing something about the psychology of how people perceive and make decisions, this strikes me as an avenue for people to be, who are already loss averse, to maybe act on it. So this is for people who are tuned up, who are anxious. This would be some way that actually might capitalize on that and induce them to do things that aren't in their long-term best interest. So we were thinking about this in our research group, and we got together and said, let's imagine a blue sky project where we could reconceptualize how we would report what a portfolio looks like. So the next slide shows an idea of a research idea that we have that goes under the rubric of goals-based risk. The thinking here is, what if we had to show portfolio performance, and we did it in a way that was better attuned to how real people think about their portfolio and can help direct their attention to make better choices? We don't have a magic wand to make people rational, and we can't just tell people not to be loss averse, but we can redirect their attention in useful ways. And one way to do that is to focus a big number right at the top isn't what the market did in the last day or so. It's are they on track? And this echoes the points Daniel was making before. This is what people often want to know. And that I think is worth showcasing to clients. You're a long-term investor. Where you are right now is 28 years away from retirement. And currently, given your contribution rate, asset allocation, and so on, you are on track to reach your long-term financial goals. It's not 100%. Never is, just can't be. But you're really very in a really good position. One other thing this representation does is it sets the proper time frame. So notice that we're not talking about daily changes in portfolio value. The x-axis here is over the whole span of the investor's life cycle for accumulation. And that's this useful idea of trying to recast performance reviews rather than month to month, quarter to quarter, over the long haul. And that, I think, helps people understand volatility within the context of their overarching goal-centric plan. It also has the added advantage of focusing people's attention on what they can do. They can't control what the market's going to do, but they can control their contribution rate. And this is one of the biggest drivers of investor success, focusing people's attention on contributions, reminding them to continue to do this. And as they're continuing to grow their assets, this will help get them closer to their goals. Thanks, Ryan. You know, um, you and I have worked together for a while and I have taken your advice and you know, during this volatility, I've had friends and family, you know, very stressed about what the markets were doing. And I said, stop looking at your performance. And I had friends come back and thank me because it actually was one of the things in their list of things that are probably stressing them out that actually um, they were able to not uh, add to. So appreciate your hard work on that. Of course. Um, any 
anything you would add to help clients focus on goals rather than benchmarks or absolute returns? Well, I think this this goal centricity is very valuable. And one additional piece of research we did recently was asking people what they look for from a financial advisor. And the top thing on average from investors was they want a financial advisor to help them reach their financial goals. And we thought this was great. And this, this is the whole reason we think people become investors in the first place is to reach their goals. And that seems to be top of mind anyway. So I think that's a useful thing to build off of. Uh, one thing that we found surprising is that we asked people how interested they were in things like behavioral coaching, this kind of service that a lot of financial advisors provide. And it's worth pointing out that this is one of the most valuable things that financial advisors can offer their clients. Morningstar has research showing this and other firms like Merrill Lynch have highlighted this as well. Yet that was near the bottom of the list. So I think that people have the why of investing, that it's goal-centric, but a little bit of the means, like how to get there, they may not be fully appreciating. So I think that one thing we can do is change a little bit of the language we use to describe around this. And we found that if we describe behavioral coaching in terms of a financial advisor can help me make decisions with a cool head, that kind of phrasing made people like those services better. And so I think that there's just a little bit of wordsmithing around this that can help people appreciate that source of value. But overarching point, I think it's worth reminding clients and advisors know this, I think already that one of the most valuable things they can do for their clients is keep them on track for the long haul and recasting the investing process from a moving away from a month to month or quarter to quarter view to the long term view, I think really can help accomplish that. All right. So Ryan, some clients may be apprehensive about jumping fully into the market right now. Do you have any thoughts about dollar dollar cost averaging? Yeah. So I, I know um, work on this recent work that's pointing out, uh, like it's a little bit more academic, uh, asking, is this the right way to approach thing? Um, we know it's not optimal in the sense of an expected value maximi- maximization sense, but that's not really the question. I think a more useful way to think about it is, can this help real people make better decisions for where they are now? And so we know a bit about the psychology of fear. There's this fight or flight mechanism people have and freezing. And so people may just not know what to do facing this irreducible uncertainty. And one of the things that can help them maybe at least start to do something is commit to some sort of plan where they move cash back into the market. And a dollar cost averaging approach is a useful way to do that. One other technique that builds on work that comes out of behavioral finance, and there's this idea called save more later. So a person commits to saving more of their current income and they start not right now because that's sometimes hard for people to do, but they start a month from now and they commit to that. In the same way, dollar cost averaging could be brought to bear that way. So the dollar cost averaging investing process could be started, say, a month from now, and that could be a little bit easier for people to buy into. The psychology there being that they they don't quite know what's going to happen now, but they think things might be a little bit calmer in a month and they're willing to commit to doing so. So I think the dollar cost averaging is a useful heuristic that can help real people stay invested and continue to move their assets into the market, which is where we see the the longest term value creation for them and the mechanism that's going to help get them closer to where they need to be. Great. Thanks, Ryan. All really helpful information. That's our show for today. Thanks for listening. Uh, Wishing you much wellness and indoor happiness this week. And come back next week for another new episode of Simple But Not Easy. I'm Drew Carter. Bye for now. This 
This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of publication. Such opinions are subject to change. Neither Morningstar nor its subsidiary shall be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the content presented. Morningstar and its subsidiaries make no representation as to the completeness or accuracy of the information presented. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Forecasts are not a reliable indicator of future results. Investors should be aware of the additional risk associated with funds investing in emerging or developing markets. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of capital. Investors should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, risk profile, and consulting with a regulated financial advisor where necessary before making any investment decisions. In the UK, the Morningstar managed portfolios are intended for citizens or legal residents of the United Kingdom. These portfolios can only be made available through the use of an investment advisor appropriately authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. Tax treatment depends on individual circumstances and is subject to change. Morningstar Investment Management Europe's address can be found at www.morningstar.com.